It's a rainy Saturday afternoon in Tamworth when I visit Melissa Rainicker's home. I sit with her out the back on the porch. According to Melissa, her sausage dog, Dobby, follows her around due to anxiety. But Melissa is keeping him inside. Otherwise, he'll get wet and excite her other, much bigger dog, Demon. Can you tell me about your children? I have two children, one 14 and one 8. Both have special needs. My eldest has level 1 ASD, which is an acronym for autism, sensory processing disorder, anxiety, and some mild intellectual delay. My younger child has ASD level 2, so more severe, sensory processing disorder, anxiety, and some delay, intellectual delay as well. Melissa's youngest child, Jacob, who's 8, comes out to see why Demon is barking. Hello. Demon's not enjoying this, no. He's tied up because he keeps digging holes in the backyard. Mm. No, don't, because he'll wrap the chain around you and you'll get hurt. Melissa and I are talking about Jacob and the fact that an assessment last year found he should be in a specialist support class at school. Despite that, he remains in a mainstream class. I, I think it's hard for him and he comes home and exhausted. He... Sometimes he won't speak from the bus stop home or sometimes he's just really quiet. It's like, are you okay? Yep, yep, yep. And then three hours later you're like, blah, 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 this happened. Someone punched me, someone said this to me, Some my friends wouldn't play with me. Kid stuff, but to him it's huge. So he's exhausted every day. And how do you feel? Helpless. <laughs> I just want my, my son to have, to enjoy school, like to enjoy going to school, enjoy learning. I'm Eva Baxter. For this episode of Voice of Real Australia, I'm in Tamworth looking at what it's like to bring up a neurodivergent kid in a regional area. According to the Australian Bureau of Statistics, data on disability, there are over 30,000 children with autism and related disorders living in regional Australia. Kids just like Jacob. And they're competing for a limited number of spots in support schools and programs. Only 40% of these kids attend a special school or special classes. Outside the big cities, it can be next to impossible to even get a diagnosis, let alone support. I've talked to parents, educators, and an autistic woman to examine the unique challenges and benefits of growing up different in regional Australia. Melissa worries Jacob is being left behind at school. Academically, he's meant to be, he's not where he should be. And I don't know of any amount of support that will help him get to where he should be, but keep on going, oh, look, yep, he's okay, he's okay, he's okay. Well, what are we going to do when he gets to year six? Going, well, yeah, we're still in year two level at year six. Like, so I have raised that concern. So if he, they've assessed him to need the support class, I'd like him to have what he needs. And it's the education department's responsibility to give the children the environment they need to be able to learn. That's how I understand it. So, yeah, I don't think I'm being unreasonable trying to get the department to give my child what they've assessed him and his paediatrician and his speech therapist and his occupational therapist and his psychologist have all said that he needs. Jacob's school set up an unofficial class for him and others who had not been provided with a support class. Melissa says Jacob loved that class 
and it transformed his school life. The unofficial support class that my son got was amazing. He was so happy. He would skip in the gate, <laughs> be like, bye. Oh, yeah, bye, mum. Like, it just, oh. And it was devastating when we learnt that the teacher was leaving. There was tears. <laughs> um, and I wasn't alone there. There was other parents that were like, oh, my God, what are we going to do? We're losing the best teacher we've seen in years. And some teachers just have this affinity to special needs kids mm -hmm. and others it's a struggle but um, yeah I, he just bloomed with the support and he was happy and there wasn't any drama there was no anxiety on my part or his part most of the time of oh god is he going to make the day <laughs> let alone the week I have heard of this happening right across the state but I think particularly in our regional areas, it's kind of exacerbated because of their location not being close to the city centre. Diane Byers has been teaching primary school for 13 years. She's a representative for the New South Wales Teachers Federation, the Union for Public Schools. And I'd say the important point to make here is that there are structural deficiencies that are fundamentally driven by the lack of recurrent funding for students with disability and this is a funding failure of both federal and state governments and has been for many years. She says she's seen a lot of teachers step up and offer extra support to students like Jacob when there are no official programs available. I'd say it's more that they feel compelled to do it because the principals and teachers in our public schools, they really care about their students and they know that appropriate support and resources will make an absolute difference to those students' lives. And again, it just comes back to that point. It's the government's responsibility to fund these additional classes. Melissa has been trying to get Jacob into a multi-category support class, a class for children with autism, emotional disturbance, moderate to severe intellectual disability or physical disability. These are smaller classes where a teacher and support officer offer personalised learning and support for students. After layers of bureaucracy, claims such as Jacob's go to a panel, which is meant to get them into the right class at school. Jacob has been up and onto the panel four times and he has been deferred four times because there's not enough places in the, in the region. There's not one place in a school for him at the moment for support in the Tamworth area. We're not even just talking about his school. We're talking about the whole Tamworth area. And we live behind a special school. And the lady that I speak to through the department, she's like, I wish I could give every kid the place they need. We just don't have the placements. And it's not just the physical classrooms, it's the teachers, it's the teacher's aid, because it's generally six students with one aid. And they just don't have them. The New South Wales Department of Education says students are selected for support classes based on availability and are prioritised by need. There are 49 of these support classes in the Tamworth area, providing for over 400 students. There are 30 students in the region who, like Jacob, have been deferred this year. Diane says schools are under-resourced and there isn't much else they can offer kids if they're rejected from support classes. If a student is assessed by the experts and they deem that the best place for that child is in a support unit class, but then the, the parents are told sorry, there's, there's no room. The schools can apply for what's called IFS, so integration funding support. 
So the school completes an access request, which is quite an in-depth and very lengthy process. Now, having said that, the main issue is that if funding is provided, it's often inadequate to really meet the needs of that student. I actually had a conversation with a teacher just yesterday and her comment was uh, a student that she was aware of was qualified for a place in a support unit class, an autism class, which is capped at seven students. There was no places, so they applied for integration funding support and the student was only entitled to $4,000 funding. That does not equal a place in a support unit class. So we have a range of services all based on the philosophy that the child's parents are their most important educators, but to do their role effectively, they really need the support and encouragement and education from others. Simone Reeves is the head of Mansfield Autism Statewide Services, a non-for-profit organisation that supports young autistic people and their families. It's a registered NDIS provider that runs off donations and government grants. Then in Mansfield, we have a small independent school where we have some day students. So we have some students who come here full time. Mansfield is a regional town in Victoria, a two and a half hour drive from Melbourne. It's a fraction of the size of Tamworth. And we have some children from the local primary schools and secondary school that come here part time. Sometimes they just come here for a day a week, a bit of a down day from all the um, the social stresses and the sensory overload they can experience in mainstream schools. And then we have some residential houses for when children need more intensive intervention, they can come here for nine weeks and they stay in our house and come to our school during the day. And it's a 24-7 program. Simone School sounds like a great place for Jacob. And more recently, we've just purchased 100 acres that we're developing into a therapeutic care farm. So we're having houses built out there and a school and also a family campsite where we can support families on holidays. Certainly not all autistic kids need a support class, although many, like Jacob, also have co-occurring intellectual disabilities. But it's not necessarily about intelligence. The support classes are needs-based. Simone says mainstream schools are struggling to provide for children with neurological variations. There's, you know, evidence that show that children on the spectrum are often functioning on very high levels of anxiety and that anxiety can really be a big detriment to their ability to access the curriculum and learn in a classroom. And I think teachers need to have a very good understanding and the time of, of autism and the time to work up a rapport to be able to support children with autism in the classroom. And I think teachers are very time poor at the moment and under enormous pressure with the academic output to actually meet the needs of, of many children with additional needs. Melissa says Jacob gets anxious about the bus to and from school. And there's always that keeping me on the time while I'm at work going, oh, it's three o'clock. Am I getting a phone call today? Are they going to call me and go, he's, he's, they can't find him? My, my husband will walk up to the bus stop, pick him up. I get a call one day going, he hasn't got off the bus. I'm at work. To leave work. We ring the school. Is he still there? Yes, we couldn't get him on the bus. He, he, something's happened. I'm like, okay, just hold on to him. I'll be there. It's just an underlying anxiety every day of, are we having a good day today? Both of Melissa's children receive financial support through the National Disability Insurance Scheme, or NDIS. 
to cover therapies such as occupational therapy, handwriting, and other fine motor skills, and a speech therapist for Jacob. But Jacob is only eligible for assisted transport if he's in one of those support classes. If he was in a support class, he would be eligible for assisted transport. I said, yeah, but we're meant to be in a support class, so can I have the assisted transport? No. Mm. <laughs> find that very baffling that I can't apply for that. And I have asked several people within the school and the department, no, it's just how it is. You're not eligible for it unless you're in a support class. Navigating the complicated NDIS and getting funding are huge issues. But even before they get there, families in a lot of regional areas like Tamworth face numerous hurdles in supporting their children. Simone again. I think probably the first is actually access to a diagnosis. So families often have to travel some distance to get a diagnosis and there's often a huge wait list for them to actually get to that point and then often that those really important early years, that early intervention can be missed. Travelling for some of the families, you know, two and three hours to get to a specialist, to get to an appointment, by the time they get to that appointment, the child can be very stressed and anxious about being in a different situation by having to travel for so long that actually they can't receive the same from the therapy that they would if that therapy was actually provided in their home or their home region. So I think distance is a huge one. He relates to animals much better than he does humans. That's the reason why I got my two dogs. But he chalk and cheese, like, it's a bit like Jekyll and Hyde with him. Beautiful, he has two half-sisters. Beautiful big brother, very caring big brother. But then in like school settings, social settings, he's a very different, very aggressive kid. Tasha Parry's 11-year-old son, Dylan, has been diagnosed with oppositional defiance disorder, autism and anxiety. One of his sweeter moments, he was five or six at the time. My grandmother passed away on his fifth birthday. And it was Christmas, I think that year, we went to Carol's by candlelight and he was blowing kisses up in heaven to Grand Nan. And that's a side of him I have never seen before. He's generally not that emotional. Getting Dylan diagnosed was a challenge for Tasha. But yeah, it's been a very long, I mean, I've known since he was about two, just cause I've worked for a long time with high needs kids and families and stuff that something was wrong, but it took a very long time to get a diagnosis. It's the terrible twos, it's the terrible threes, it's the terrible fours. And then we hit school and I'm like, someone has got to do something about getting him some help. And again, it wasn't until he was seven, I think, or eight that we got a diagnosis. And that took me going to private services in Newcastle because you couldn't, I couldn't even get him into a paediatrician here. So it was costing me upwards of $500 an appointment, plus the travel to Newcastle and all the rest of it, just to get him help. Tasha took Dylan to Newcastle, three and a half hours away because getting an appointment in Tamworth seemed impossible. It took a violent incident for her to be sent to the front of the line. So he was on the wait list for the paid clinic here for over two years. 
The only reason he got into the paediatrician was because police took an AVO out on him to protect me. He had become that violent. So it took my 11-year-old child going to court for the magistrate to say, this is ridiculous. Within two days, we had an appointment at the paediatrician. Like, you shouldn't have to take your 11, or the police shouldn't have to take my 11-year-old child to court for someone to speak up. Melissa knows what it's like to have to fight to get the support her kids need. Well, the preschool picked it up with my eldest, but we didn't really... We, we thought they were just being overzealous until we moved here and put her in school. And the teacher's gone, she can't write a name, she can't do this. I'm like, she's only in kindergarten, it's not, you know. Oh, well, she might not be ready. I'm like, well, she's six, is she? And there was just more and more things that kept coming up where she couldn't pay attention. She wasn't being able to stay on task at school. It was mainly school stuff, we thought, until we realised, oh, this home stuff is not what everyone deals with. So she has a working memory disorder as well, so you can't give the oldest one too many instructions in one go. You can't say, go put your shoes on, get your bag and get in the car. That's too much. She'll go get in the car with no shoes on because she's forgotten the first two instructions until we got into a paediatrician and they've gone, yeah, maybe something's going on. Get assessed. And that takes years and years, especially here. It takes two years to see a paediatrician here in Tamworth if you're lucky. Those formative years are key, according to Simone, so getting a diagnosis early is important. Tasha reckons it became too late for Dylan. If you don't get on to this stuff when it should have been three, four, five years ago, he's nearly a teenager now. The ship has sailed. Like, my biggest fear is that he's going to end up in juvie, which will then just make him ten times worse because he'll be associating with all these young people that have done probably more horrific things than he has. And, yeah, I, I really, I just, I suppose that's how frustrated and exhausted I am, is that I feel like, well, that ship's sailed now. The ordeal has left Tasha without any faith in the health system at all. I remember having a conversation with the first psychiatrist we saw, and he was about eight, I think, at the time, and... I said, my son literally displays every trait of a psychopath except animal cruelty. His only comment to that was, yes, I agree with you. Good news is he's eight years old. Bad news is he's eight years old. And that was literally it. I paid a lot of money for nothing. But yeah, it just frustrates me when like that comment from the psychiatrist will forever sit with me. You've just agreed with a single mum who's clearly in distress that you believe her son displays all these traits of a psychopath, but then leave me high and dry. Mm-hmm. So it, it pisses me off. It's, it's really frustrating because then, you know, people that don't see everything you're trying to do behind the scenes, uh, like you're the worst parent in the world because your son's done this, your son's doing this, and you're not doing anything to help him. It's like, I can't go to any more lengths. Like, my hands are tied. Tasha believes if there was a purpose-built school for kids like Dylan and Jacob in Tamworth, the spots would fill up. A doctor brought up the idea of moving to a place so Dylan could go to a specialist support school. And I'm like, 
I can't, my whole family support system's here. And, and I need his father's support. And his father has two other girls that he has full-time care of. So physically moving is just not as, I hate Tamworth, don't get, like I would love to move, but it's just not possible. All my family's here, all of his family's here. I wouldn't survive, I don't think, on my own with Dylan in a different state, let alone away from family support. Tasha's family connection is important, not just to Dylan's well-being, but to her own. It would be hard to have to do it all on your own, which is why Simone Reeves thinks there are pros and cons to autistic children living in smaller communities. I think families who live in in small country towns often have a community around them. You know, we live in Mansfield and it's an incredibly inclusive community. So children who do have autism and have additional needs and neurodiversity, they're included as part of the community. They're supported. The schools are very good at their integration of them in the schools. I think Families in Melbourne often their next-door neighbours don't even know that they have a child who has additional needs. Uh, Even though they have lots of people around them, it can be quite isolating for them. I had a lot of difficulties around reading and writing. I had issues with bullying. I, I struggled a lot. This is Amanda Barden. She's autistic. She grew up in Canyon Lee in the southern tablelands of New South Wales. And I only just made it through year 10 and got my certificate. I mean, just because I couldn't keep up. I struggle with comprehension. So, you know, when we're we're in an English class and things like that and they're reading all this information to you going, you know, you've got to write this down. I couldn't write it down as fast as they were saying it. So I missed, with no exaggeration, half of half of the stuff that I was supposed to learn because I couldn't I can't listen and and write. Amanda now lives in Mildura in northwest Victoria with her three autistic kids. She's an autism consultant and advocate. She wasn't diagnosed until she was 30, after her daughter was. There wasn't a lot known about autism when Amanda was growing up. People just thought she was quirky. I have photos of my mum tells a story of me walking around in a ballroom gown at the age of, I think it was seven or eight, in a ballroom gown and, you know, those plastic high heels that little girls get. And I'd walk around the farm like that and it was just who who I was and I didn't understand that you don't wear those costumes and those sorts of things out in, <laughs> out in the bush and I'd go feed the chickens and feed the horses in, in this princess dress. But, yeah, I always have my quirks. I have quirks in the sense that I don't like my food touching. My, my hubby laughs but I can't eat M&Ms of the same colour. I have to separate them before I can eat them. So I've always been quirky in that way, but my parents always put it down to quirky. That's Amanda's Amanda. Amanda agrees it's hard to get support services in small towns, but she says there were certainly things about the bush that were good for her well-being. You walked down the street and you knew the people that were walking past. Where I've looked in some cities and you'd see one person, you wouldn't see him again, but... In a smaller town, you knew who people were. And, you know, in my younger years in primary school, we lived out in Kenyon Lee, which is like way out of town and we lived near a station and we lived on a thousand-acre block where we could drive the paddock basher car and we'd have horses and things like that. And I found that so much better because I didn't have to deal with people. I didn't have to worry about fitting in. I had to have my horse and I'd go for a ride and – 
attend to animals and things like that. Amanda went to a mainstream school. There wasn't a lot of support for autistic kids back then, and she found it difficult. She says things are much better these days, but she did have to change her daughter's school. In 2019, Amanda went back to school. She gained a Diploma of Community Services at TAFE. But even now, and among adults, she says an incident with a teacher caused her to have a meltdown. She completed the degree online. This is why I advocate for my kids. This is why I put my foot down and go, that is not okay. That's That treatment is not okay. And I will fight for not only my children, but other people in the autistic community to see that they're treated with respect and with dignity. And I don't choose to be like this. Yes, it is who I am and I'm proud of who I am, but you can be accepting and you can be accommodating, not cruel. Amanda is in favour of support classes, but would like to see a complete rethink of how classrooms are run. I think it's important for those that need it, absolutely, for those that can't learn in a mainstream environment. But I would one-up that and say, let's change our current classrooms to adapt and to accommodate for all students, not just whether it be neurotypical or autistic or physical disabilities, whatever it may be. There's more than one way of learning things. And we need to change the way that we teach to the way that these kids learn and not try and stick them in a box. It's a matter of stop trying to stick everybody in the same box because not everyone fits. But any classroom changes, whether mild or radical, need funding. Primary teacher Diane says teachers are under stress. There are staff shortages and a workload and salary problem. We're constantly giving and it's out of the care for our students and the passion that we have for the profession that we've joined. When governments don't step in and provide the resourcing we know our students need, we'll often provide it ourselves. And it's getting to a point now where they can't do it anymore. People are exhausted. They want recognition for their expertise. And we need the support of the government. These students in particular, our most vulnerable, they need to be supported so that they can go on to lead successful lives. Simone agrees there should be more funding for teachers to improve support of neurodiverse students and or students with intellectual disabilities. I think we need to provide a lot more training and support to teachers and therapists. I think we need to really embed autism into the university courses for speech pathologists, occupational therapists and teachers. There was the Autism Training Institute that provided the fourth-year specialist training in autism for teachers. Unfortunately, I think the funding for that has ceased and the last group are just finishing that now. Um, I think there needs to be a big injection of funding to actually help people in their degrees understand autism. In a statement, a spokesperson said since 2015, the Education Department has invested $290 million to support student well-being and mental health in public schools across New South Wales. They also said the department provides 109 courses to upskill teachers in the children with disability priority area, adding that 950 school staff in regional and rural areas have completed one of these courses in the past 12 months. Mums Tasha and Melissa both think there needs to be more funding to allow for more support classes in schools so that all children can access a good education. In the meantime, they will continue making noise for their children. 
I suppose the term the squeaky wheel gets the oil sums it up really because I've had to make a lot of noise before I got any traction anywhere and like I said I'm an educated person I know how those systems work and I still was up against a brick wall so I suppose my advice to other parents make the noise because services do get sick of you and they will soon step up and do something they might not like you afterwards but who cares make the noise because otherwise you're not going to get anywhere I think the government needs to step up and see there's a problem. They need to support the schools and somehow, I don't know how they're going to do it, but get them the support in the classes, the staff of what they need to be able to deliver the education to the kids on how they need it. I don't think there's any other way to go around it. They just need more funding for special needs, whether it be regional or Sydney, Newcastle, wherever they are, but currently our problem is here regionally, we just don't have enough spots. And the person that decides who goes into those support classes, I pity them that they have that job to say, nope, we have to defer them. We have to defer. This kid really is in crisis. They need that spot. Amanda has a message for carers like Tasha and Melissa. Being a carer of autistic kids and being autistic myself I just want to say to other carers be kind to yourselves it's okay to ask for help not everything has to go right 100% of the time there are some days where I just I want to curl up in my bed or jump in the shower and just block things out and that's okay because being a carer is hard being an autistic person can also be hard and it's okay to be you, and you don't need to justify yourself to anybody. That's it for this episode of Voice of Real Australia. Thanks so much for listening. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. If you like the podcast, please tell your friends and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find us. If you'd like to share your story, email voice at ostcommunitymedia.com.au. That's voice at ost, A-U-S-T, communitymedia.com.au. Follow us on Instagram at Voice of Real Australia to see photos from our stories. Voice of Real Australia was recorded in Tamworth this week on Gomorroy Camilleroy land. This podcast was produced by me, Lara Corrigan, and our host, Tom Melville, reporting by Eva Baxter. Our editor is Emily Sweet. This is an ACM podcast. <laughs>